When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the show. For today's podcast, I'm going to be doing my top 10 coming-of-age films. And starting off with that, I want to go on ahead and talk about a little movie that came out in 1991. That movie is Boys in the Hood. And Boys in the Hood is a movie that stars Lawrence Fishburne, Cuba Gooding Jr. You also have Warren Chestnut in this movie. You also have Ice Cube in this movie. And here's the thing. When I'm looking at coming-of-age movies, I'm looking at how well-grounded a certain movie is. I'm looking at the development of the characters. I'm looking at the direction that the director is actually taking in to this movie to make us care about these characters in such a way that, you know, we can actually go ahead and watch this film and actually care about these characters and have the emotional attachment to these characters. And I'm just going to tell you this. This movie is very well-grounded. It's perfectly well-executed and perfectly well-balanced. And I'm going to get into the plot points right now. So basically the plot is about this guy named Trey. Trey is played by Cuba Gooding Jr. And he's sent to live with his father because his mother is actually furious over the lifestyles that he's actually faced wherever he lived before. And so anyways, she sends him over to Lawrence Fishburne in Los Angeles, and central Los Angeles. And although he is a hard-pressed-nosed guy who entails proper values, and I mean by he, I mean Lawrence Fishburne, and he teaches them about respect, values, and his dev- and devoted girlfriend, Brandy, Nia Long teaches him about faith. And this is what I like about the fact that, you know, you actually have two characters that love Trey, that will do absolutely anything for Trey. And Trey is one of those people that gets into trouble, does stuff that he has no business even doing. Or anything like that. And, you know, he's hanging around with the wrong crowd. And Lawrence Fishburne actually sees that. And then he pulls him to the side. And what I I like about this is he's actually showing him. Okay, if you hang out with this group of people, you're going to wind up either being locked up or you're going to wind up dying. And then if you sell drugs, you're either going to be both. You're going to either be dead or you're going to be in jail for the rest of your life. And you're probably also going to be addicted to the drugs. And not only that, but he also teaches him about valuing women. Treating women with respect. Not uh, talking to them like, the, not saying bitches or anything like that. Treating them with downright respect. And the respect that women actually deserve. And that's what I actually like about, about that character is the fact that, you know, he loves his son so much that he'll do just about anything for his son just like any other father would. And the whole fact is he sees him getting into trouble. He sees that he's going on the wrong direction. And he's trying to course direct him. But of course, every kid goes on his own thing and does his own thing. And, you know, you can do just about anything you can for your kids. But it's up to the kids to straighten out and go on their own course if they choose to to go on the course that you have them set out on. But once they're grown, you have no control over that. But... You know, this movie has a lot of heart. It has a lot of depth to it. And not only that, but seeing 
uh, Nia Long, which is also the char- the character's name is Brandy, showing him faith, trying to show him about God and everything else, and showing him that there's more to life than just going out on the streets. Meanwhile, you have Ice Cube, and you know, of course, his his other friend too. I want to say is also one of those people that, or influenced over the fact that you know has a good education on his back and everything else too. While Ice Cube, on the other hand, is in the street life and also doing drug, doing drugs, doing um, and also in that lifestyle that Trey's father doesn't want him in. And you know what? I really have to say, Ice Cube delivers a good dramatic. He's really good at dramatic roles. When it comes down to dramatic roles, he can do drama, he can do comedy, he can do just about anything. When when you actually see Ice Cube do his thing, and the fact is that you don't want to come across Ice Cube at all in this movie. And another thing, too, is when a certain character winds up dying, I'm not going to say who, because even though this movie's been out for years, I just want to go on ahead and explain the fact, too, that this director actually understands the character groundwork. He understands the character arc. He understands that, you know, about emotional attachment to a character. And when that character dies, you're bawling because of the fact that you weren't even expecting it or anything like that. And it hits you like a ton of bricks because this life is not guaranteed. And that's also the same way that we're actually viewing this movie as well. It's like all of a sudden, he's this person's there. Then all of a sudden, he's gone. And, you know, that's just something that amazes me about it. Like, he actually understands the whole entire boundary between living in a course direction that your parents are trying to set you up on and then also doing another thing where the streets are raising you, where you're dealing drugs, where you're actually shooting people, where people are dying over drugs and getting into stuff that you know that you shouldn't be getting into. And, you know, and there's also a such thing as to street, um, street life where you're actually understanding the street life, understanding the street code and everything else. And, you know, that's what I have to say that this director actually understood with this film. He actually knew where he was going with this movie. And, you know, you like I said, you can actually care about these characters to the point where you don't want nothing happening to Cuba Gooding Jr. or anything like that. You don't want no, anything to happen to Lawrence Fishburne or anything else either. Because, number one, he's his father and you don't want to see him get hurt. You don't want to see Cuba Gooding Jr. get hurt. You want these characters to stay safe through this whole entire movie. And then when some stuff goes awry where Cuba Gooding Jr. is actually in the face of life and death, it gives you goosebumps. It gives you a wonder of, okay, is this guy actually going to make it out out of his teenage years before he's dead? And spe- Even though he's going on the right direction, if he goes on this right direction that his dad wants him to go on, is he going to make it out even then? Because don't forget, just because you're living the life that your your parents set out for you and everything else, some stuff could actually go awry. And I'm wondering, okay, so if he's going to go out on this whole entire thing where he's being in this course direction, is he still going to make it out alive out of this whole entire thing in central Los Angeles? Even though... He, even though he might be leaning towards the other side a little bit. It makes you, there's a little question. It makes you wonder if these characters are actually going to make it out alive to see them graduate. 
And that's something that I actually cared about. That's something that I really wanted to see because that's what gravitates you towards actually watching this film. And the fact, too, like I said, about caring about the characters. Because if you don't care about the characters, if you don't care about the layers of these characters, you're not going to care about the movie at all. And, you know, this movie, I'm going to tell you, it's just fantastic. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, like I said, I mean, you can't go wrong with this movie. This This movie will make you laugh. This movie will make you cry. This movie will make you be able to relate to maybe how your parents might actually sit you down one day and try and teach you about the ways of life and actually give you the proper guidance that you want your parents to give you and everything. And, you know, I think that if you're really wanting to check this movie out, go ahead and do so because you're not going to be disappointed. Matter of fact, this movie was directed by John Singleton and this movie was actually a $6 million budget and it made $57.5 $57.5 million. And during that time and everything, $57.5 million was actually pretty good for in the 90s and everything, especially when you're dealing with a $6 million budget. As a matter of fact, it was nominated for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay on the 64th Academy Awards, making Singleton the youngest person and the first African-American to be nominated for Best Director, which is actually impressive to for a someone of color to actually be recognized on the 64th annual Academy Awards. I think that's just fantastic. He pretty much set the groundwork for guys like Jordan Peele and other people of color to actually go on the stage and everything to accept their Academy Awards and even be nominated for Academy Awards. Another thing too is, I and I feel like this is an Oscar snub in a way because, don't get me wrong, I love Kevin Costner in certain movies and stuff like that. But he got beat up by Dances with Wolves. And don't get me wrong. Cinema, the cinematography for Dances with Wolves was re- really good. The dialogue and everything for its time was really good. But if you put these two movies side by side with each other. And you go with character depth. You go with the stuff that I was explaining with the plot. With Trey his character arc where he's going from being on the bad side of things to maybe going on the opposite side and and going on to that groundwork and then you look at dances with wolves i have to say boys in the hood is a much better movie than dances with wolves and like i said the cinematography for dances with wolves is just fantastic and especially the layout of the of what they do with that film, especially when you're looking overlooking the uh, mountains and the wolves and the Indians and everything else that they actually have in that film. But, you know, there's a such thing as character arc. There's a such thing as building your characters to where they need to be. And I feel like that this director, actually, John Singleton, actually brought his A-game to this film. And I feel like that he should have went on ahead and won that Oscar. And, you know, I really have to say, Boys in the Hood is just a fantastic film. I think you guys are going to have a blast with this film. And I would like to actually know what you guys think about Boys in the Hood if you have seen it. If you haven't, let me know if you want to check this movie out because I strongly recommend something like this. Especially in today's time and everything, too, where you see kids going off the reels sometimes and stuff like that, not having proper guidance 
on certain things. Yes, kids make mistakes and stuff like that, but it's up to the parents too. I feel like in some aspect that they should go on ahead and guide their teenage kids in a certain way and actually show respect towards grown-ups and everything and certain aspects of that's what um what I was taught was manners when I was when I was young and everything but I was also I also was taught too that just because they're older and just because of any older and everything doesn't mean that you need to show respect either because they could actually push you to a certain limit and everything else even though that they're in the wrong but anyways that's a story for another time but you know I feel like this movie is just good it's fantastic go on hand check this out and another movie that I want to actually mention right now, and matter of fact, this is actually number two on my list, and that movie is Dazed and Confused. And Dazed and Confused is one of my favorite films even to the day, and I've I've still love watching this film. And the music is re- really good. It actually has a good cast. You actually have Matthew McConaughey in it. You have. All, all your stars that you want to actually have in this film. You got Jason London in this movie. You got Wiley Wiggins. You got Ben Affleck in it. You have Parker Posey in this movie. You got Mila Jokovic, Adam Goldberg. This movie is just perfectly well casted. And also, too, it shows... It actually shows the um, adolescence of what it's like to grow up in the 1970s and at this time for Days and Confused. But it's about this about the coming of age film that follows the mayhem of a group of rowdy teenagers in Austin, Texas, celebrating the last days of high school in 1976. The graduating class heads for a popular pool pool hall and joins an improto keg party. However, star football player Randall Pink Floyd, which is placed, played by Jason London, has promised to focus on the championship game and obtain abstain from partying. Meanwhile, the incoming freshmen try to avoid being hazed by the seniors, most notably the sadistic bully Fred O'Brien, played by Ben Affleck. And that's another thing, too, is you actually get to see Ben Affleck be a bully to someone and then paddling someone and doing all these mean things to freshmen and stuff like that. And then also, too, you also have the adolescence part of this whole entire thing as well. Where it shows where it's actually fun to actually throw a party in the 1970s and be in the pool hall with these guys, with these group of characters. And you just fall in love with these characters to the point where you can want to ride with these characters. You want to actually care about these characters. You want to actually be around them. You want to know what kind of trouble they're going to get into. As a matter of fact, I remember watching this one scene where this guy, this teenage kid orders a keg and he gets busted by his dad and everything. And he's trying to hide the fact that he even ordered a keg of beer. And of course, you know, during that time too, you're actually having to find someone that can actually make a fake ID and everything too. And it makes that thing a whole lot more fun because there's actually something that you feel like that you can get away with. And that's what I love about these kind of movies is that you can actually feel like when it comes down to throwing parties and stuff like that is a feeling that you can actually think that you're actually getting away with something. Even though in the back of your head, you might wind up thinking that you're going to get busted by your parents. And it's just that thrill of the fact that you could get busted. You could get grounded. You could get in trouble with the cops. You could wind up running into that bully 
and everything that's paddling you. And then standing your ground against that bully when it comes down to that time to actually stand up for yourself. And then, of course, the music as well is what I like about this film. And then Matthew McConaughey, who hang, who's a 30-year-old guy who hangs out with teenagers and everything else because he misses his teenage years and he thinks that he's still young still, young at heart. And... You know, he's still trying to pick up on girls. All right, all right, all right. Okay, that was a bad Matthew McConaughey impression. But you know what I'm getting at, though, with that. I think that this was one of the best films that I've seen whenever you're looking at throwing a party aside. But here's the thing. Another movie that I'm going to mention in a few minutes and everything tops this movie. In a big way. Because of the risk factor. Because of the fact that it actually has that feel of getting away with something. But I'm going to get to that in a few minutes. But, you know, I really feel like this movie, you can actually gravitate towards the fact that, you know, it's the 1970s. And you're graduating high school. You're going to be with these group of people for the like, la- very last time. And you want to be able to share those memories one last time with those group of people. Again, and have a party. And just relax after taking exams or doing whatever you do. And, of course, smoking a doobie, doing whatever. And just chilling with your friends. And that's basically what Days and Confused is. It's about these kids who are trying to relax, trying to be with their friends for one last time, one last ride, being with their senior class. And then some of them are freshmen that are trying to fit in with new new people and everything else too. And then you have Ben Affleck paddling people that's a bully. And then, you know, he gets what's coming up to him in the end and everything. But, you know, it just it's an all-around fun movie whenever you think about it. And, you know... They don't make movies like this anymore. As a matter of fact, you know, I feel like if they did something like this now, there's just so much technology that you can actually, parents can track you. There's no way of actually getting away with anything. They have GPSs now. Homes are installed with smart cameras and stuff like that. You cannot get away with crap anymore compared to what you could back in the 90s and even the 70s. And everything. And there's that risk factor of not getting you caught and everything. That thrill is now pretty much gone. And I don't know if they could actually master something to where they can actually do that. But, you know, I feel like that Days and Confused is just one of those films that you can actually pop in, have a good time, have some fun with your with some of the people that you actually can relate to. And just have a good time with them so that's how i feel about dazed and confused now i'm going to move down down to house party which i said that actually tops dazed and confused and let me just tell you why there's that risk factor that i was telling you about and to me they make dazed and confused look like a bedtime story that you would tell tell your grandkids about because of the fact, back when I was your age, I used to go ahead and I used to smoke a doobie with my friends. I used to go out and pick up on girls in the pool hall and everything. And life was just good in the 70s. We had it all. That's how I felt when, um, about Days and Confused and everything whenever you look at House Party. House Party is just an all-around party. 
Party City is basically what it is. You have Kid and Play in this movie. It's about two guys who are who are just really good friends that wants to throw a party while their parents are out. And there's that risk factor, like I mentioned with Days and Fuse, where it's that factor of feeling of getting away with something. And knowing that you can get away with something during that time. Or feeling like that you can get away with something. But in the back of your head, you're wondering, okay, is so-and-so going to call the cops on me? Is my next door neighbor going to come and ring, down, ring the doorbell? Is somehow or another, am I going to get arrested tonight for throwing this party? And let me just tell you this. When they threw a party, they threw a party. You had cakes, you had weed, you had everything going on. Sex going on, yes, I understand 16 candles and everything else. But when you look at house party and stuff like that, that tops that party. Because you're talking about a whole block just about coming into this party. People that are not even supposed to be at this party is at this party. They're trying to figure out ways to get out of... uh, out of the situation and everything else too. Once they see that it's starting to get heated up a little bit and things like that, but they're all actually having a good time as well. And that's before things start getting heated up to the point where they're like, okay, we need to go on ahead and get these people out of here before we're discovered that we're throwing this party. But there's that risk factor there. The chemistry between kid and play is just phenomenal. The way they joke around with each other. What I mean by that is the smack talking with each other. And then also too, you can actually tell that friendship is there whenever they're communicating with each other and stuff like that as well. And, you know, it has been a while since I've seen this movie and uh, seen House Party, but it's still in my wheelhouse. It's still I still remember certain elements to that film. And everything, and then seeing the well balance of kid and play, and seeing how close they are as friends, even off off screen as well, but more so whenever they're doing this house party thing. Because no, here's the checklist they have to do: number one, get the parents out of the house, which is an easy thing to do because they're going out of town. Number two, get the alcohol and everything, get the fake IDs, and then after that, it's time to go on ahead. And pick up the condoms. After the condoms, it's now time to establish music. After you establish music, it's now time to start inviting people over to this house. And once things start getting full in this house, you're seeing people hanging up over the banisters. You're seeing people tearing this house to shreds just about. You're seeing... And... Once that ends up happening, Kid and Play are like, okay, we're having a good time, but we need to get these people on out of here. And then, also too, they also know how to actually fool people whenever it comes down to that whole entire element of the ne- the next door neighbors, where they can actually quiet the music down if they needed to quiet the music down at the time and everything. And then also too, same thing, they're such a smooth talker when it comes down to uh, trying to get uh, their their friends quiet enough to where they can actually fool people and things like that. And I really have to say, you know, this movie is really a lot of fun to actually watch. I, I really enjoy this film. This movie will make you laugh all the way through. And yes, it might seem like it's outdated, especially with some of the stuff that they actually do and pull. But, you know, that's what makes these movies great, though. This is what makes the 1990s 
movies stand out from the 2000s movies and stuff like that is because of the fact that, you know, we didn't have all this technology back then. We had to do what we had to do and improvise when we had to improvise when it it came down to getting your parents out of the house, not letting them track us down on what we're doing or anything like that. It was so much easier in in a sense to actually get away with stuff or having that feeling of getting away with something. And that's what I love about the house party movies is the fact of having that whole entire tactic of, you know, wondering if you're going to get caught or that whole entire thing of, you know, is your parents going to come home early and bust you for this party and they're not even expecting it. Opposed to now, you can actually throw a party and they can actually see it on the cameras, your smart homes and everything else. And it just doesn't work. And matter of fact, they actually want to make another house party movie, which I actually talked about that in a couple of episodes back. And I said the same thing, too. I said there's not that risk factor there. There's not that whole entire thing. Uh, there's different ways of tracking you now, GPS, everything else. It just wouldn't work in today's time. So... Having a house party remake or anything like that, especially having kid and plays kids or grandkids, it just wouldn't work in today's time. At least that's to my to my knowledge. But tell me what you guys think because I want to know what you have to say about that. But this movie is really good if you're looking for a good movie to hang out with your friends with. And of course, you can't go wrong with it. So another movie that I want to actually talk about now is 10 Things I Hate About You. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because of the fact this starred Heath Ledger. It also had Joseph Gordon-Lovitz in it. And it also had uh, the girl from, I forgot what, Julia Stiles in it. There we go. And, you know, what I liked about this movie was the fact that, you know, you have this kid, this new kid that moves into this high school. And he's in love with this most popular girl in the high school. And he knows he can't be with her. And even his friend's like, you know, you can't be with this girl or anything like that. She makes us want to be with her, even though she knows that we can't be with her. And, you know, Cameron, Joseph Gordon-Lovett, he does not take no for an answer. He goes on ahead and still pursues her. And then Julia Stiles is basically the girl that's the outcast of what her sister is. And, you know, she's more of this tough girl kind of thing where she just doesn't give a damn about anything. She doesn't care what people think or anything. And what you see is what you get. And, you know, I really like that balance where you actually have the most popular girl in school. And then you also have the rebel, which is Julia Stiles, who just doesn't give a damn. Like, she tells you like it is. And then even in the classroom, this is just an example, where her teacher is actually telling her, you know, telling that the class about this uh, thing for William Shakespeare and everything, and he doesn't. He's actually thinking that she's being a smartass to and everything to him, and everything, and tells her to go to the office. And then another time too, he also she was being a smartass to him, and of course she gets sent to the office again. But then you also have Pete Ledger in this movie, who's also a rebel, who's also has things in common with Julia Stiles' character in a certain sense. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But but the premise is this. Cameron can't be with Bianca, who's the most popular girl in school, unless Julia Stiles starts dating, which is also a stipulation that her father puts on them. So what does Cameron do? He wants to go on ahead 
and Dater. And meanwhile, you have this other guy named Joey, who's a popular guy in school. And, of course, Cameron and his friend winds up telling him, hey, look, you want makes him become, like, the middleman. He winds up becoming, like, the pawn. So he goes on ahead, tells Joey, look, hire somebody to go and take out um, Cat, which is also Julia Stiles' character, and then that's how the whole thing gets started, where he winds up hiring Heat Ledger to go ahead and take out Julia Stiles. And the whole entire dynamic is actually pretty funny. And then, two, you know, each what I like about this is, and it's the same thing that I liked about um, Disturbing Behavior, was the fact that in high school you have different cliques. And each click is different. You have in this one you have the coffee click. This and then you also have the redneck click. You have different clicks for each thing, even the business side click, the geeks clicks, and stuff like that. And you know, every high school actually has them. And I think that you might be able to relate to that certain aspect. But you know. Basically, you're there for Julia Stiles one, and also Bianca, and you're wondering if Cameron's actually going to get a chance to be with Bianca. And what I like about Heath Ledger's character was, yes, he's a rebel, but he also gives Cameron some good advice. Don't ever let some, someone tell you that you, what you can't have. And, you know, I really like that about that character was the fact, yes, he's a rebel, but at the same time, you know, he takes the time out over his own selfish needs. And what I mean by his own selfish needs is, is the fact that, you know, at first he's just dating her to, for a couple bucks, for a couple of $200, $300 that Joey's throwing at him just so he can um, do whatever he wants. And, you know, without any fact of even hurting Cat or anything. And he takes a minute to give Cameron some advice and he drops all that just to give him that one small piece of advice for him. And... That's something that I can actually say that I respected out of Heath Ledger's character at that time. And then, of course, as you know, as the course keeps on going, you know, he winds up, Heath Ledger winds up falling in love with Kat. And, you know, and then, of course, you know, Joey's uh, doing his thing and stuff like that, trying to get him to go to prom with Kat, trying to throw in $300 again. And stuff like that. Heath winds up t- uh, telling him to go screw off. And that aggravates Joey even more. Then Bianca is with, uh, it, and everything else is still not even considering um, Cameron's feelings that much or anything like that either. And, you know, it just reminds you of being a geek in school and being crushing over somebody that's popular. And that person that's popular don't even realize who your name is. And then... Cameron's still trying to pursue her, still trying to get with her, still doing all this for her in order for him, for her to actually see that he loves her, that he cares about her. And that's what I have to say. This movie has a lot of heart. It actually knows when it needs to shine and knows what it is. This film knows exactly what it is. It's a great coming of age story. Not only that, but it's also kind of off of uh, one of the William Shakespeare's plays as well. So, you know, there's that little dynamic as well. So if you haven't seen Days and uh, not Days and Fuse, but if you haven't seen 10 Things I Hate About You, it's actually playing on 
Hulu or it's playing on Disney Plus right now. So go in and check that out when you have a chance because I think you guys are actually going to have a chance to actually like that, laugh a little bit. It's a good rom-com. So check out 10 Things I Hate About You. And number four on my list that I'm going to be talking about is Can't Hardly Wait. Now, Can't Hardly Wait is one of those movies that stars Seth Green. It also had a couple of other people in it too jennifer love hewitt is in it and she plays the popular girl this other guy is trying to get with her and he had a crush on her ever since she sat with him in freshman year and you know basically they had a pop tart together so ever since then he's been pursuing her wanting to be with her and of course she's popular and she doesn't even notice him and then Senior year comes around, and it's like the last year. Everybody's throwing a party. And once again, it's another party scenario where you can actually feel like that you're getting away with something when you're not. And, you know, you have the geeks there that's trying to go ahead and sneak in to this party, trying to disrupt it because of the fact that Jennifer Love Hewitt's boyfriend's a douchebag towards them and always picking on them because they're geeks because of the fact during that time, geeks weren't even welcomed or anything like that, and weren't accepted for who they are or anything. So therefore, the geeks wind up, the main head geek decides to go into the party, act like he's drunk, and he winds up getting drunk, (laughs) and tries to actually have some payback with the bully that's actually bullying him, and also his friends as well. You have that plot going on, and then at that plot, you're also having the guy who's actually not popular at all, trying to get with Jennifer Love Hewitt, you also have the Melissa Joan Hart, who's always one of those people that are really happy and sad at the same time that they're graduating. One, it's everybody signed their yearbook. You have the this other uh, Seth Green, who acts like the black guy and everything and stuff like that. And you know he has goggles. He's he's actually hilarious in this film too because of the fact that him and his friends all all act like they're black. And I still remember the ridiculous clothes and everything else that he that he was wearing during that time. And it actually fits in with that time and everything too because that's what some people were actually wearing. Where some uh, kids actually some white kids actually thought that's what black kids were actually wearing during that time. But still, it was just funny to actually see how Seth Green actually carries himself in that movie and actually acts in that movie because of the fact that, you know, he's acting like this guy who's who's black and everything, and then all of a sudden he ends up running into this girl that he actually knew from back when they were kids. As a matter of fact, his name is Kenny, and they get locked in the bathroom together, and then that's a whole other plot that's going on over there. So you have separate things going on within this whole entire movie through this whole entire hour and some more minutes. And, you know, you can actually care about each character. Each character has his own screen time and everything, too. Even a foreign exchange student who doesn't even speak English that well, people are making fun of him. People are saying, making him try and say, uh, I am a sex machine and stuff like that. There's a bunch of stuff from back in the 90s that I would feel like that wouldn't even be played out today. Because of how, you know, we're actually trying to get away from some of that humor that we actually had back in the 90s. But for for the most part, though, in the nine, with the 90s and everything, that's what worked. And, you know, this is a good coming-of-age movie, like I said before. Because of the fact that, you know, you have that scare factor of 
wondering if you're going to get caught. And then, of course, too, you also have a band that's in there that don't that don't really get along at all. And, you know, and then, of course, you know, you also, like I said, the whole entire plot line is this guy who's trying to pursue his high school crush. And, of course, the girl's name is Mandy, who is also Jennifer Love Hewitt's character. And the first thing he thinks about is Barry Manilow's Mandy, which is a song that Barry Manilow wrote for his dog. But, you know, I have to say, this movie will actually make you, like I said before with the other movies and stuff like that, this movie will actually make you laugh out loud. It will make you have tears coming out of your eyes just like you would with House Party. I think that you guys will get a big kick out of it. And like I said, you during the 90s, you can actually feel like that you're getting away with anything and everything. And then, of course, too, you're wondering if the uh, neighbors are going to call the cops because your music is so loud. And there's drinking going on, underage drinking. There's also the fake ID badges and stuff like that. It's a, like I said, it's a predict- predictability whenever it comes down to these movies. But overall, it's fun to actually see how these characters interact with each other. It's fun to see if these characters are actually going to get caught or not get caught. And also, too, you could actually care about these characters. But, you know, I think that you guys are going to have a great time with it. So, now I'm going to get down to number six. The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Now, this movie is centered around, I want to say, probably the 80s or maybe 90s. And what I like about this film is the fact that it's relatable and it's also something to where you can care about the characters. It's perfectly well balanced. Emma Watson's in it. And, of course, you also have the guy who plays the plays the Flash in the DCEU is in it, Ezra Miller. And he plays a guy and he call, there's actually a character called Nothing. And the reason why he's called Nothing is because no one really notices him. Not only that, but he's also a gay character in this film. But it breaks my heart over the stuff that these bullies actually do to him where they're actually bullying him, pushing him, punching him. And then also too, he actually feels safe with this one character and this one character winds up backstabbing him and pretending that he's not actually gay when he really is gay. And, you know, his one person of comfort is actually pretty much destroyed, but the plot line is itself and everything else too is pretty good. Um, but I'm going to get to that in just one minute. And basically, the plot is about a socially awkward teen named Charlie, and he's a wallflower, always watching life from the sidelines until two charismatic students become his mentors. Free-spirited Sam, who's Emma Watson, and her stepbrother Patrick, Ezra Miller, help Charlie discover the joys and friendship, first love, music, and becoming a writer. However, as his new friends prepare to leave college, Charlie's inner sadness threatens to shatter his newfound confidence. And that's something that I really liked about this movie is the fact that, you know, you some people actually do sit on the sidelines and just watching as they go and not experiencing life, not experiencing love, not experiencing their first kiss, not experiencing music, not experiencing anything. And Charlie was just was one of those people that just stood on the sidelines up until Emma Watson ran, runs into him, and then all of a sudden introduced him into Patrick, and he ends up getting introduced to 
uh, in introduced into the Smiths. He was introduced into a whole new world of things that he never even experienced before, like love, kissing someone, falling in love, and also, too, having that closeness with his friends, even though he's actually still going to be in high school while his friends graduate, which also sucks because then he's like, okay, what am I going to do now? Am I going to be on this sideline barrier again, being a wallflower, or am I going to go on ahead and continue where I was with my friends with somebody else and then also too he's also trying to write and do his own writing and everything and because of that because of his friends he was able to pick up uh, creative writing he was able to do things and they gave they gave him motivation which is all what friendships are supposed to do is motivate you and be there for you and pick you up whenever you're down and charlie was one of those characters was so complex so awkward and there's also some stuff that happens in his past and you're wondering when you're trying to watch this film that you're trying to piece all this stuff together and why he's actually so awkward. Why is he afraid to get close to new people? Why is he like this? And that's what I love about that, though, is the fact that, you know, you're glued into this movie for two hours and you're wondering if this character is actually going to make it out of this thing to where he's going to have friends at the end of this movie and then, of course, too, I also love the um, Rocky Horror Picture Show scene with uh, Patrick, which is Ezra Miller's character. Uh, and then also Emma Watson's in the play. And then at that time, he's, uh, he's still on the sidelines a little bit. Charlie's still on the sidelines. But what I like about it is the fact that after a while, Charlie winds up becoming a part of that play later on and he actually engages in the play with Patrick and Emma Watson and he winds up finding his light in writing in in like I said with the writing and also too with actually um in the play for Rocky Horror Picture Show and then of course another thing too is I also like something that this is what else I have to say that I liked about this film. And the fact it has a lot of heart to it is one thing. But, you know, I like the fact that it had Paul Rudd in it. Which also gave you some light to this character who's an English teacher. And is introducing Charlie into new books and new things to actually get into. And Charlie asked him because of his sister dating this one guy who's a total douchebag. And Charlie knows that he's no good, not good for her. But he goes, why do we love the people that we know are bad for us? And he goes, because we think those are the that because we think that's the love that we deserve. And that made my jaw drop for the, like the very first time that I watched that that first part was just how awesome the writing was, and how you know Paul Rudd actually handled that line because I don't think anybody else could actually say that line the way Paul Rudd did, and you know. I think that that's one of the best things about that film was the fact that, you know, you have Charlie who's awkward, who's sitting on the sidelines, and then you have Paul Rudd, who's actually the only friend that he has during that time, who he can come to and feel safe with and talk to him about a certain situation and gives him that line. And it just makes me feel happy that he actually has someone that can actually talk to him. And then, of course, you know, he also has Emma Watson there and Ezra Miller. And, you know, the chemistry between them is really good. And then, you know, as a, another thing, too, is there's actually a scene underneath the bridge. 
And I think the song is called Passengers. I'm not 100% sure on that. But it reminds me of a Teen Wolf situation where, uh, where Michael J. Fox is on top of the van. And, you know, he's dancing to Surfing USA while he's up on the van. But with this situation, she's in a tunnel. And she gets in the back of the truck and stands up on the back of the truck. And she just spreads her arms up, not a care in the world. Fearless, like a teenager would be, going through this tunnel. And Charlie is on the sidelines yet again in the truck, wondering, I could just see it in his face, wondering if he would ever have the courage to do what she does. And then, you know, as the movie plays out, his whole entire persona changes, his character changes, and everything else. And, you know, I just really have to say the person being a wallflower is a great movie, great dramatic. When it when it needs to be dramatic, it's dramatic. When it needs to be comedy, there's comedy. When it needs to be love, there's love. When there, you want to cry, you're gonna cry. It has all the elements of a great drama. And person being a wallflower is just fantastically well done, perfectly well executed, perfectly well written. If you haven't seen this movie, check it out. This movie's I forgot how old it is, but check it out. I think you guys might actually enjoy it. And now I'm going to be talking about The Edge of Seventeen, which is actually my number seven on the list. And The Edge of Seventeen is where you have Woody Harrelson, who's a teacher, and then you have this girl who loses her dad over a heart attack. And she's having that constant struggle of her losing her dad and trying to get over the fact that she lost her dad, especially after so long that her dad actually passed away. But she's you can actually tell... And the way that she actually carries herself, and what I mean by the way that she actually carries herself, is she doesn't actually have to say anything to actually understand that this character is going through some pain and also blocking out some stuff to where she has to put up a wall with certain people. And then also, too, she actually is an outcast and everything else, too. And and to be honest with you, everybody thinks that she's just a heinous bitch, but that's not the case. Because there's a lot of things that goes on within her head. And everything that just goes a mile a minute. She thinks that this one guy is into her and everything. And doesn't know that she, if he's into her or anything like that. And she's also she's also into this popular guy. And then she sends out one of those texts that she knows that she shouldn't have said. Or anything like that. And then Woody Harrelson. And then of course she wants to get Woody Harrelson involved. <laughs> and this is the funny part though. Woody Harrelson tells her, what, what, what the fuck do you want me to do? He goes, I want, can you take his phone? No, I cannot take his phone without probable cause. She goes, and he goes, what did you say anyways? And then she winds up telling him that she wants to give, his, give her vagina away and all that other stuff. And <laughs> that's something that I actually have to say, though, that was funny to me was the fact that, you know, Woody Harrelson is the only person that pretty much understands her besides one of her other best friends. And even one of her other best friends winds up slipping away a little bit to where she's actually pushing away from her. And, you know, because of because of the fact that she winds the main character winds up pushing her away because of the fact that, like I mentioned before, she's putting up walls so that way she doesn't get hurt because she's thinking that somebody else is gonna wind up being hurt. And everything too. And this, like I said, this is a good movie. Edge of, the Edge of Seventeen is one of those movies 
that you're going to end up crying. You're going to wind up uh, laughing over Woody Harrelson and the main character in this film and stuff like that. You can definitely tell there's some chemistry there with that. And, you know, it's just great to actually see good coming-of-age movies and in today's time. And, yes, it may not be a house party type of movie. It may not be, like, a crazed party type thing. But it goes through the emotions of being a teenager in a 2019-2020 type of way to where you can actually say, okay, these these kids are actually struggling more than what we struggled with when we were teenagers and everything going into between social networking, bullying. Then, like I said, losing the losing her father was the biggest thing at the very beginning with the heart attack because of Billy Joel. And, you know, there was even a Billy Joel joke about how her father died because of listening to Billy Joel. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of groundwork with this movie. And, you know, this movie is one of my other... Like I said, this there's a reason why this movie's on here. And it's just one of those good movies that you can actually sit back and watch and cry. And actually have a conversation with Woody Harrelson and also have some friends. To, to actually help you along your way to try and get those uh, walls down. Back down again and get to where you need to be. But, you know, check that movie out. Now I'm going to go on ahead and talk about Class Act. Class Act is another kid and play movie, believe it or not. And it is another one of those movies where they are throwing a house party. But it's a little bit different. And a matter of fact, when I say different, Kid, and a kid is actually a geek, and then of course play is a jock, a popular uh, is streetwise and everything else, and stuff like that. And their files winds up being switched over, and so the teachers think that kid is a, uh, play is actually kid, and kid is actually play. So, basically, they actually have to pretend that they're in each other's classes and pretend that they are each other when they're really not. And it's actually pretty funny because whenever you see a kid go being inside the uh, gym class and everything and doing everything that play is supposed to be doing and everything, it makes you laugh because of the fact that he's not even used to doing the dyna- doing that kind of stuff because of the fact that he is, in fact a geek and a nerd, and he's actually so smart versus how Kid is. Kid is just a jock and everything else, and he's not that good at, um, he's not that good at geometry, not that good at chemistry or anything like that. But it balance, what I like about this is, is the fact that it balances each other out with the switcheroo type of thing because of the fact that, you know, what one person lacks and the other person actually is strongest in. And they can both help each other out. Another thing is, too, kid is not good at dancing, so play has to go ahead and help him with dancing. And then he also helps him with rhyming, talking and slang. He talks, he tries to act, make him act like him. He tries to do everything that he does. And then, of course, kid has to go ahead and train him on geometry, physics, and all that stuff. Things that he has no idea what he's even getting himself into. Then, of course, you also have where Kid actually gets into trouble because of the fact that he's actually trying to get with the most popular girl in school. And also, too, they're on the run from him through almost the whole entire story of this film. And 
like I said, they also throw another party. And this is actually a cult classic and everything, too, which is actually a surprise. And it really didn't do that much at the box office or anything like that. But every single time when this movie is actually on, I'll go on ahead and I'll flip it on because I like watching a kid and play movie. And same thing when I watch a house party movie as well. And like I said before, there's that risk factor of not getting caught. That's in that, too. And then another thing, too, is you're also wondering if this most popular guy in school is actually going to actually beat the crap out of kid for hitting on his uh, girlfriend and everything. And then, of course, you know, there is a lot of corny dialogue here and there. There's some old slang words that you're actually not going to be familiarized with. Same thing whenever you look at the house party movie as well. But, you know, I think that you guys are actually going to have a good time with it. And another thing, too, is the hydraulics uh, card that uh, play has is actually going to be you're going to end up getting a kick out of that because of the fact that kid actually has to go ahead and drive his car and he doesn't know what he's doing or anything like that and the hydraulics and everything else is all screwing up on him he has no idea how to even fun- drive that car at all so that makes it even that much funnier the two parents and everything, I don't know if the uh, kid and play's parents or don't know if this is a good idea for them to be hanging out or anything like that because one parent thinks that he's actually a bad influence on kid, um, plays up actually a bad influence on kid. This movie is balls to the wall, funny, laugh out loud, comedy. It's a great film. Check it out. I think that you guys are gonna have a blast with it. And now, finally, for my number nine movie is going to be The Breakfast Club. And I know I didn't put this as my number one because, to be honest with you, I like to be a little bit different when I'm doing my movies because of the fact that everybody would put Breakfast Club as number one. With me, on the other hand, I like to actually stick out a little bit different. So I'm putting The Breakfast Club as number nine rather than number one. And it's not because of the fact I didn't enjoy it or anything like that. It's just for the simple fact that there are other movies that are better than The Breakfast Club, believe it or not. Especially when you look at the films over the years. As a matter of fact, there's more movies than 10 movies over the years. But, you know, whenever you look at coming-of-the-age movies. But, so anyways, I'm going to go on ahead and talk about The Breakfast Club. It has Emilio Estevez in it as the jock. You also have the geek. You also have a jo- has have a uh, the rebel and every, and let me just, they're all they don't have anything in common at all in this movie. The only thing that they do have in common with is the fact that they're in detention. And in detention, it, they're in this library. And in this library, they have no choice but to try and get along with each other even though they don't. And they don't have a clue at what one another is even going through at their home life. They all they know is they want to get out of there for detention. They want to finish up their day and move on with their lives without even getting to know each other. But you know, you put a room full of kids that are misfits in some way or fashion, they're going to go on ahead and talk. And, you know, the more you get to know these characters, the more that you actually feel for these characters. And what I mean by that is when you look at the jock, which is played by Emilio Estevez, you know, yes, he's popular. Yes, he gets the girls. Yes, he can run track. Yes, he can run a football up and down this field all day long. But... They don't see the abusive side of the whole entire situation where he's actually being abused by his father. 
because of the fact that he wants him to actually follow his dream rather than M.U.S. of S. following his own dream. And then you have the other thing, the rebel, who's actually the uh, the person that is a dr- his father's a drunkard, and he's also uses his ways of actually lashing out at people and stuff like that to make him look like he's actually tough. And what I mean by that is he he whenever the geek and him clash and stuff like that, he wants to pound his face in pound the geek's face in and everything and I feel like that whenever you look at that part you can actually capture the moment of where he's actually trying to cover up the fact that he is in an abusive home with his father and he's living in this environment then you also have this quiet shy shy girl and stuff like that too and she doesn't really want to be bothered she does and but the geek has the hots for her and then of course Molly Ringwall it's just your girl next door type of girl and everything too that the jock winds up liking. And, you know, like I said, these characters have nothing in common with each other other than the fact that they're actually stuck in this room together. And that's what makes this movie special is the fact that, you know, they're stuck with each other, but, you know, they they have to find a way to actually get along. And a matter of fact, as my favorite part is when the rebel goes on ahead and tries to escape through the ducks and everything. And of course, you know, he winds up being busted and he goes back into the library. But that's one of my favorite parts in the movie. Like I said, you're gonna these characters you can actually relate to in some kind of way and stuff like that too, if you actually choose to do so and if you actually look for that. If you don't, you're still gonna like this movie. You're still gonna find something to like about it. No matter what. Same thing with House Party. Same thing with Can't Hardly Wait. Same thing with 10 Things I Hate About You. And, of course, Days of Confused. All these movies that I mentioned, you're going to find something to actually gravitate towards. To where you can actually care about these movies and care about these characters. And, you know, as I mentioned before, The Breakfast Club is a classic. It came out in the 1980s. It's directed by John Hughes, who's one of the best directors when it comes came down to directing teenage movies during the 80s. And, you know, you can actually tell that he has his John Hughes ways of things. And uh, I think that you guys are, are going to actually get a chance to actually enjoy The Breakfast Club. So, number 10 on my list, wrapping this up. And I'm I'm sorry if I'm speeding through this. My voice is going out a little bit. It happens, but just bear with me. But Boyhood is on my list. And this movie won Best Picture, I think, in 2013 or 2014. But it's about... It's actually... This director did something ballsy, did something different. And that was the fact that he actually did a movie where he's actually filming this kid for 12 years. Where he actually had to take breaks in between filming... To actually get this uh, actor from the time he was little all the way up until he was 18 years old. Which is actually pretty cool. And even the mother as well. You can actually see the different hairstyle. The the actress that plays the uh, mother. Even the father goes through different transitions as well. And then also too, what I liked about this was the character's name is Mason. That's not why I like it. But um, basically the mother is actually is a single mother who's trying to do the best that she can for him 
And he's also trying to figure out this life. He's actually trying to fit into the school. He's trying to adapt into what he wants to be. He still doesn't know who he wants to be, who he is, or anything like that. And not only that, but what else I have to say is this, too. The mother's also looking for love. She winds up uh, falling in love with this douchebag who winds up being a drunkard, who winds up beating her, and then he, she winds up finally getting the courage to actually leave. So Mason and her go, and the sister winds up going uh, to some, going somewhere else, but the father, I love the father though, the fa- the um, ex-husband is actually one of my favorite things in this film because of the fact that he's trying to introduce Mason into new things, and he also wants to have conversations with his kids, and you know, as, you know, as time goes on, you know, the conversations become less, where the kids don't really want to talk to the parents anymore or anything like that, it's like, yeah, it was okay, it was fun, and he's like, no, 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 no. We're not going to have this. We're not, we're not going to have this conversation. I want to actually have a full conversation with you. And that's what I loved about it. And not only that, but he also tries to teach Mason about music with the Beatles and stuff like that. And then also, too, he, also, he has his car. All right, I'm sorry about that. I was, for some reason or another, the recording decided to go ahead and stop. So I'm just going to say it was just a ghost in the machine. So I'm going to go on ahead and talk about... The last movie on the list, and that's the movie, is Boyhood. As I mentioned before, before the recording actually ended, was the fact that I like the fact that it the character's name is Mason, but that's not why I like the movie, was because of the fact that, you know, it was something balls and something original that hasn't been done before. And I also like the fact that, you know, the father's also trying to guide Mason on a road that is supposed to be something that of being a man, what a man is supposed to be doing. And also, too, I also like the fact that, you know, it is something that you can actually relate to and stuff like that as years goes by. Life is like a jump rope. Everything keeps on changing as life keeps on going. And that's basically what this movie is, is where Mason is basically trying to figure out who he is, what he what he wants to do, what he wants to be. Where's this life after high school? And that's what his teenage years basically is. Even his adolescence, he's even, even questioning what... um what his life is going to be like even after all this what's what's there there's going to be more to this than just high school just going to school and you can even tell that in his mannerisms you can even tell that in the way he talks and the way he moves and also too the mother is also trying to look for love she's actually trying to do the best she can even whenever they're little like i mentioned before where she's actually trying to take care of them his sister and him and trying to get him on the right direction as well and she's of course you know she remarries she winds up finding somebody else just like anything else you know goes on life goes on after your first love or whoever you wind up with or being married to before depending on different situations not like that like I said it actually follows from Mason when he was little all the way up until his all the way up until his 18, uh, 18 years so I like the fact that the director decided to do something different instead of saying, "Okay, this kid is now a, this kid is a teenager. He's questioning himself. He's questioning his whole entire uh, high school career on what he's going to be doing after high school." I like the fact that you know he laid the groundwork from day one, from the time he was born, all the way up until his eighteen years. And like I said, he actually had to go ahead and take a break or two 
to get this film done because of the fact he wanted uh, Ma- the car- the actor who plays Mason to age a little bit more and get the him let him be older and not only that even with the sister as well and then you know mothers and mothers go through phases with their hairs and stuff like that it even goes in through the whole entire thing with that too with the with the mother with the hairstyles and things like that and you know I really have to say if you're going to wind up liking this movie some people might not like this movie I actually ran into some people that said this movie's a little too boring for them but for me if you're looking for a different way a different way of actually telling a coming of age story I think that you got, you're going to probably wind up enjoying it but maybe not maybe you might actually become appreciated with this film but if you find this movie kind of dry, kind of lacking plot, kind of not your average type of coming-of-age story, especially whenever you're used to those comedies and those uh, that I mentioned before, like House Party or any of those, you might not like this movie because of the fact it doesn't actually gravitate towards that kind of setting or anything like that. This is more of those movies where it's more, it has a little bit of comedy in it, but it also kind of, kind of more of a dramatic stuff to it too. Kind of gives you a little bit of an edge of 17 kind of vibe to it in a certain aspect, if you think about it. But all in all, it's still a good time. It's still a good um, movie to actually check out. And I'm, if I'm seem like I'm rushing through this, I'm sorry. My voice is kind of going out on me, like I mentioned before. But, you know... Tell me what you guys think of my list. Let me know what you guys have to think about with Boyhood. Because I think it was something that's really really impressive that this director went on ahead and filmed 12 years of where this kid was like 5 or 6 years old. And then went from all the way till he's 18 years old. I think that's an impressive and interesting way of telling a story. But anyways, let me know what you guys think. And until next time. Bye bye.